Developing Your Comedic Character. We'll talk about that on this episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make the show? And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. We're going to talk about how to kill in comedy. That's right. Last night, uh, if you were watching the program or attempted to watch the program, it was all about how to die in comedy. It was uh, karma coming back to bite me in the ass after 31 years. Uh, very failed attempt with Paul Provenza. If you watched the show, you saw it. Paul was trying to connect on a phone i don't think he was on wi-fi and kept freezing up and we had to abort the show i will uh reschedule we are going to reschedule we're going to what we're going to do is probably pre-tape uh the program for paul because um doesn't have a computer or a laptop or anything he only has a phone to do this thing by uh but i'm really looking forward to having that interview with paul but uh it was a struggle for me last night one of the uh most uh, frustrating um, episodes of the program, and we did not decide to publish it. So we pulled it down last night. So if you're clicking links that are all over the internet and finding it and saying, "What? What's the problem? It's not working." Please don't send us email saying the link isn't working. No, we pulled it down. We it's impossible to find all the links every place they were shared to pull them down. But I do appreciate everybody who made an attempt to come out. Tonight is the reverse of that. Uh, tonight, I have a guest who has written a book and has coached people in uh, how to perform stand-up comedy for uh, more than 30 years uh, and is a stand-up comic himself and uh, part of a uh, stand-up comedy team. Uh, so it should be an interesting conversation. Before I bring him in, I have to quickly uh, introduce you to my sponsors. Tonight's program is brought to you by FunWise Capital. FunWise Capital, as you probably know, is a business lender matching platform. Helps you get the best lines of credit guaranteed. Uh, you can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You're saying, wait, did he just say start? Yes, he just did say start. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan that can help you get money. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of uh, five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, Facebook, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really simple. Just go to apply, A-P-P-L-Y, dot funwise, dot com, slash mind dog. Apply dot funwise, dot com, slash mind dog. The link is in the description to make it easy for you. And I certainly do appreciate uh, you patronizing our sponsors. You see that book right there? It's called How to Kill in Comedy by Steve Moore, uh, Steve North, the comedy coach. Man, the lips aren't working too well tonight. Anyway, <laughs> Steve North is a premier comedy coach in Hollywood. For more than 30 years, he has coached thousands of comedy hopefuls and uh, heads up uh, two of the longest-running stand-up workshops in the Los Angeles area. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Steve North, the comedy coach to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Steve, welcome. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm doing better tonight than I, I was last night, but thank yeah. you for coming. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, last night, uh, I don't know, just a quick uh, little recap. It's kind of a humor story. 31 years ago I, I, on radio, um, somebody had, to, we were trying to get uh, comedians on the program, and somebody had su suggested to me that it was a catch-22. You're never going to get a named comedian on the program until you've had a named comedian on the program. You, people aren't going to be attracted to come on your radio show unless they know you've had guests of that qual uh, caliber. So I said, well, we have Paul Provenza this weekend. And we didn't have Paul Provenza that weekend. Uh, <laughs> Paul, Paul never heard of the show. And so I had to make up excuses why Paul never showed up because we kept saying we were scheduled. And so last night I had him scheduled. After 31 years of, of that lie being out there several times, 
actually had him scheduled last night and we had a difficult time get first he was late 20 minutes late to the show and then get kept getting froze up so i felt like it was karma coming back to get me for all the lies i told about it years and years ago so, uh anyway thank you for coming here tonight now <clears throat> i have to tell you i was intrigued i found you uh i was on facebook one night and i saw an ad for your book and i'm going to show you the book it's called uh how to kill in comedy uh find your comedic character uh, 20 amazing formulas for great jokes uh and, and slay the audience now uh, i was intrigued by that because many years ago i wrote uh, i read a book by steve allen you remember steve allen i'm sure yep. uh about i think it was called make them laugh and it was uh about how to perform comedy and he was of it was a conversational book and the with one of his writers from his television shows and she asked him can anybody be funny he said everybody is inherently funny it's about developing your uh what is funny in you taking that uh character or persona that it that is naturally within you developing that as a part of your stage act. now i've talked to many successful comedians and they will tell me uh, in t in today's world, they'll say you can't teach anybody to be funny, but you can't. You, if somebody is funny, you can t teach them the skills of presenting in stand-up comedy. What is? Well, I, I think they're probably just trying to cut down on their competition. By <laughs> That's possible, right? That I that don't... is. It definitely does seem like a cutthroat business. But it, can anybody be funny? I guess is my first question to you. Um. Okay. Anybody can be funnier than they are. Okay. I'll say that. I have seen people who in real life are boring and not funny. And once you take that part of them, that is natural and authentic and exaggerate that out, they suddenly become very funny. Um, you know, you mentioned Steve Allen, which is interesting because um, other than my statement about comics versus comedians uh so i call a comic somebody that says funny things and a comedian as a funny person steve allen also had a quote somewhat similar to that about i don't remember what it was but it was very similar and that's what my whole thing is about is that there's a part of everybody that <clears throat> uh can come out but there is an important difference between being a comic and being a comedian. So a comic, you know, I could tell you a funny story about this, or I could uh, tell you about that thing that happened that is uh, kind of funny and, and isn't that funny and how come they don't this and that. And at the end of all that, you, the audience, probably don't even realize it, but I could hand that same piece of material to the next performer and they would get exactly the same laugh because the performer's not in the piece. So a right. comedian, on the other hand, you're laughing as much at who they are as what they're saying. And how, how do you uh, find that? In, in music, we call it finding your voice. But it's yeah. a difficult thing because it takes some introspection, I think. And sometimes it takes some help because it's hard to notice in yourself what, what to accentuate and, and yeah, well, sometimes like the have first, the confidence. Go ahead. The whole first third of my book are drills so that you can get in touch with the parts of you that are going to be your comedic character. Oh. It's divided into thirds. So the first third is find your comedic character. And that's actually uh, not that hard. I do a bunch of drills where we talk to your parents <laughs> or dead or alive and and just ask them, uh, what are some things that uh, they might change about your behavior if they could? And it's amazing, but almost every time we come out with the first part of their comedic character. So I, give me a little background in comedic character. There are four parts to comedic character. The first two parts are the most important. So part one is called flaw. There's got to be something wrong with you to be funny. doesn't mean you're a bad person. Right. Uh, but if I say, hi, I'm Steve North and I accomplished everything I want to in my life, you're not going to laugh unless it turns out I dig elephant shit for a living. Then <laughs> it's fun, right? Right. So that's part one is flaw. And it isn't so much that there's something wrong with you as there's something too much about you. Like um, 
but that alone isn't enough to be funny. Then part two comes in, which is extremely important. That's called the blind spot. The blind spot means that the character, the comedian, cannot understand what's funny or wrong about them. It's like <clears throat> if I exaggerate something that's wrong with somebody, say they're kind of anal retentive. And if they do it like this, and they say, um, well, I'm kind of anal retentive, you know, and I, I, um, I even um, um, decide on every weekend which person I'm going to see based on their alphabetical order. You're like, yeah, that's sort of funny. But the problem is there's no blind spot. I don't seem to understand. I, I, I understand what's wrong with me. Right. On the other hand, if I look at you and I say, you know, I'm real excited about this weekend. I get to see all my friends that begin with the letter B. <laughs> now, the reason you're laughing is because I don't get it. I don't get what's wrong with right, me. Right, right. Yeah. So that's the the, the way the, the flaw and the blind spot constantly play together. Um, one thing I could do is I could go through some, well, here's the deal. Uh, 20 or 30 years ago, whenever it was, I started this foolish business. Um, I started coaching because Barb and I at that time were doing a lot of television shows and we found that we kept getting put in charge of making the host funny. And then I started the workshops and all that. So instead of teaching, you know, do this joke or that joke, I really looked at every successful comedy performer. And I said, what do they have all in common? And they all have these four parts in common. Part one is flaw. Part two is blind spot. Uh, I don't want to confuse everybody too fast. Part three is attitude and part four is agenda. But if we just focus on the first two, uh, then I could talk about some people like, uh, um, Jim Gaffigan. Okay. <clears throat> What's wrong with him? He's a lunatic. He's crazy. Does he ever say before a joke? Now I know this is crazy of me to say, or I know this is uh, strange. No, he says it as if it's normal. Um, Kevin Hart, his flaw is that everything upsets him. In fact, his, uh, his first album literally says what his comedic character is, Feel My Pain. Right. That was the, the name of his first one. And what you're laughing at is the stuff he talks about isn't that bad, but he's talking about it like it's the worst thing that ever happened to him. Uh, Billy Burr, I mean, you can go on and on. Um, he's crass and politically incorrect, but does he ever say, now I know I shouldn't say this, or no, he's never aware the reason that works that way is that if someone is aware of what's wrong with them, instead of laughing at them, your reaction is, well, if you know what you're doing wrong, why don't you get help or why don't you change your behavior? Right? Right. So it's only when the audience realizes there's no hope for this dude or this lady. She doesn't get it. Um, you know, uh, it even goes into sitcom characters. It doesn't matter. You know, Sheldon on uh, Big Bang Theory, for example. <laughs> yeah. So what's wrong with him is he's a nerd. Simple as that. But does he ever acknowledge that he's a nerd? No. His blind spot is that he thinks he's the coolest guy that ever lived. So you get that constant thing in every successful comedian. You can go back to the, the classic comedians like... Um, even uh, Rodney Dangerfield was somebody who clearly knew his comedic character. His flaw that is, is that he was obnoxious. But did he ever say, I'm obnoxious? No. He said, you know, I tell you, I don't get any respect. As if he deserves respect. Right. Um, somebody like, uh, <clears throat> even all the way back to Steve Martin, his flaws that he was a nerd and his blind spot is he thought he was cool. Right. Yeah. Um, Seinfeld, who everybody thinks did observational stuff, did not. He had a very strong comedic character. Seinfeld's character is that everything he talks about is unimportant. 
Nobody gives a shit about it. Right, that's true. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize that until you just said it right now. But because I, I was wondering where where you were going to go. What 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 is his? Uh, actual, well, okay. yeah. so what's his blind spot? Is he thinks that everything he talks about is super important. Right. He thinks when he tells you we have to make early bird specials really early, he <laughs> thinks he's like talking about world hunger or something. So you get this. Um, this duotomy, whatever you want to call it, the flaw with the blind spot in every successful comedian. Interesting. Uh, um, part of what you were talking about, the comedian and the, the guys you mentioned, uh, I'm going to take Bill Burr for for instance. His stand up is very different than when he's in a, uh, but he's a, he's extremely funny also as a a guest on like uh late night shows but it's a different persona a little bit in yeah. that he kind of does acknowledge that he's just an you know an angry pissed off guy a little bit too much and he talks about how he's trying to you know in in a conversation but it's still extremely funny but is that what you mean about the difference between a, a comedian and a comic you know the comic up yeah, there doing yeah. the stuff? comic has an entirely different setup uh, I won't tell you his name, but I can name somebody that was on the Tonight Show 35 times, and you still don't know who he is. Wow! Because every joke he did was that he wasn't in his own jokes. He right. made you laugh. It's not that you don't get laughs. It's that okay, so that was funny. I'm going to tell my friend the joke, but I'm not going to say, "Oh, you got to see this guy. He's so funny." Um, another thing about a, a a comic is that you don't get the goodies in the career because we don't know what your theme is. I mean, look at Seinfeld. He, I, I was, <laughs> I think I was in the same building when he was in NBC, and him and his manager pitched his show to NBC. Wow! And they said, "What is it about?" Well, it's about a guy with no life. And they were so sold on it, they gave the, the first time in history, they gave him a clearance of one. <laughs> he got one episode. Wow. But it took off because that was his character. Wow. Um, it, yeah, that, that's interesting stuff. I knew that they sold it as a show about nothing, but there has to be some explanation about about that. Even in that nothingness, there has to be something, right? There has to be, well, why yeah. would anybody watch it? That's right. <laughs> It's because he thought it was big, important stuff. Right. I mean, another great example, about 20 years ago, uh, way before she was famous, um, uh, Leslie Jones came to me for a coaching uh, from Saturday Night Live. And I'm not saying I changed her life or I made her make it, but she was like, well, I I don't think people like me because I'm I'm kind of aggressive and hostile. And I said, look, and I explained comedic character to her. I said, that's who you are. And you not only have to do it, but you have to exaggerate it and make it more than it actually is in real life. And, well, you see what kind of characters she wound up playing. Aggressive, hostile <laughs> people. Right. So it, it just doesn't matter what you are. You have to do that in spades. You're the one that has to show us not only that you're <clears throat> strong in this area, but that you have no idea that you have anything wrong. Right. Do you, do you talk to people about uh, being prepared for, because I'm, I'm assuming that people who, who you work with want to do this professionally. They, they, they don't want to just make their friends laugh. I mean, because a lot of people can just make your friends laugh. They want to go out and do comedy clubs, right? So the, the reality of what that life is going to be, do you, do you give them that, that talk? Because it's, I know it's not easy, first of all, with the idea that, you know, when you first start out, you're going to be, for three minutes, you're going to have to bring your whole family just to go <laughs> or some, or, you know, that kind of idea. And the, yeah. the ideas of how much it's going to cost you to even uh, yeah. follow this hobby that you... You know, after, after all the thousands of people I've coached, I've seen the whole range. There's people that just do it for fun. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Because let me put it to you this way. If you're out doing it for fun, 
and somebody walks up to you and says, you know, you're really funny. I want to give you your own sitcom. Are you going to say no? No, of course not. No, of course. <laughs> On the other hand, more serious people are a little more dedicated to it. They do more shows. They're willing to put up with more open mic nights and, you know, going on the road and that kind of stuff. And that's their trip. And um, they probably in the end have a better chance of getting there just because they're doing it so much. And part of this business is meeting people and getting recommendations and all that. But uh, if you're doing your character and you're doing it strong, it doesn't matter how often you do it or where you do it. Uh, you have a chance of getting some stuff. Um, how do how do you, you talk about exaggerating what what your flaws are? First of all, yeah. uh, somebody like me who's multi flawed, I have more flaws than uh, like the Andreas Fault. Um, <laughs> how do you do, decide which to focus on and which to bring out? Because uh, you know a lot of well, like are, what you would like, say with your blind spot is you know I'm a great guy. In fact, uh, you know, my psychiatrist told me that I'm geological in nature. I have more faults than the San Andreas. Okay. And now so, we get that you don't understand what's wrong with you. Right, right. I get it. So so basically, if you have a lot of faults and you want to ex exaggerate that, so uh, that aspect of just being totally, totally a broken person, but yeah. act like so you're all that, together. Right. So, yeah, right. So what you're talking about there is the first of uh, 20 uh, formulas that I have in the book right. that I've been using in the workshops for a long time. And it's the first one that draws up more of your character kind of comedy. And um, basically, I call it the caricature artist, because you know what a caricature artist does. Um, he'll take one feature of your face and hugely exaggerate it. Yeah, I get the mustache. Yeah, right. And that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So in your comedy life, instead of a physical thing, it would be a behavior. Now, you said you had more faults than uh, San Andreas' fault. Um, you would have to heighten and exaggerate things that you do wrong and yet talk about them like you're not doing anything wrong. You know? Right. Um, so, Yeah. Um, another thing that's been going around for years, which is just so annoying, and some people are actually teaching this, is tell them what, tell them the truth about your life. Tell them what really happens. Well, let me let me give you the bottom line. There, there is not one successful comedy performer who's telling you the truth. They're <laughs> either lying through their teeth or they're exaggerating so much that it's a lie. Right. I think I, I think what happened is we kind of merged this, these cultures, and I do think, and and listen, I, I don't I don't know how effective it is, but the the mindset in doing podcasts, you know, every comedian now has a podcast, and they the idea of behind them is uh, people will stay tuned if you are really open and honest and be and telling you know just laying it all out there, not hiding anything. So people are talking about their moments that are meant to be private, you know, <laughs> whether it's in the bedroom, in the bathroom, all that kind of stuff that, you know, it's just not acceptable in, in polite company. People are just like going crazy with that in the podcasting realm. But I think yeah. you're right. When that feeds over onto, a, you know, a stand up, I think that can be a turn off, but a lot of, a lot of people aren't seeing that because they're, you know this idea in podcast and i don't i'm not sure it's actually true that in podcasting you need to be pretty much nakedly honest with the world and that's what's going to attract listeners and keep them coming yeah to the show. well i think there's a, a difference between podcasts and, and stand-up comedy oh sure, oh sure there is i'm not um, you know um but basically a comedian that goes on any um show of any kind should never be out of character i don't care what they're doing uh, in fact, we run drills in the workshop on what you do uh, when you get these dumb questions, not only in auditions for TV shows, but say somebody wants to interview you on a podcast, like you're going to interview a comedian. Uh, you might want to ask questions like, uh, um, 
you know, uh, so what's it like writing material and, 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 and that kind of thing. The truth is, is that's like uh, a magician explaining, well, see, I take this bird yeah. and I put it in a harness in my coat <laughs> and then I open it and it looks like the bird comes out of my chest. So a good comedian is going to not, not answer your question, but he's going to deflect it over to a piece of material. You know, if you ask him how he writes material, he's going to say something like, wow, that's a really tough question. Yeah. You want to know something else that's tough? My wife the other day, and now he's into his joke. Right. Well, um, I, I, on that note, I just want to say, you know, uh, prepping for the Paul Provenza thing last night, I was watching yeah. some of his old stuff. Right. And he used to have a show on Comedy Central what, that he hosted, Comics Only. And he yeah. was interviewing Bill, uh, Bill Hicks. And I didn't know it at the time because I remember seeing that show at the time and loving it. But then watching it, analyzing it, preparing for the interview, I noticed that Bill Hicks was doing material. Paul Paul Provenza would ask him a, a legitimate question about something, and Bill Hicks was just doing material off of his latest CD. And That's I recognized right. it now, being thirty years later, saying, "Wow, he's just doing." He's never, you're not getting Bill Hicks here. You're getting. The act that is Bill Hicks, and he's doing it right. in the chair rather than standing up. So, yeah. Well, again, all you have to do is focus on why are you doing this show. Right. Uh, if you explain all the ins and outs of how you wrote comedy and how you were on the road and this and that, is that going to get you any fans? No, because nobody's going to think you're funny. But if you if you are a funny person and you answer questions funny by deflecting it to your material, you might get some new fans. Uh, I, I always like to say that your comedic character is a life sentence. You can never come out of it. Now, sure, if you get to be so big and so famous and so rich and you want to get on a show and, and explain all the ins and outs of how you did it, then go ahead. Who cares? You know, you want to talk about, well, what I did was this and what I do is that then people might find it interesting. But at that point, you're not getting any new fans anyway. Right, yeah. No, and I think we've done uh, This Is Your Life, and there's not really a whole lot of interest <laughs> in in redoing This Is Your Life. Some people that are there too young to know what I'm talking about. Ralph Emery yeah. hosted right. a show called This Is Your Life where not necessarily famous people. He would take people um, just who accomplished anything and surprised them with this is your life and on television we'd bring out the highlights of their life and yeah uh, yeah it was pretty yeah. boring <laughs> even with celebrities it would be pretty boring so yeah. uh what well, about i guess uh before you ask another question let me just quickly say what my definition is of stand-up comedy because i think it explains a lot stand-up comedy is giving a group of strangers the experience of having a true lunatic, your comedic character, carry on a spontaneous and intimate conversation. So there's four key words in that. Uh, the first one is lunatic, because you're not going to be anything unless you're a lunatic. Right. All right. The second most important word is conversation. A lot of people think that stand-up is a performance or a monologue. It's not. It's a conversation with a group of people. And it has to appear spontaneous and intimate. Right. So when you threw all those things into the pot, I suppose I just probably just confused you, right? <laughs> no, no. I, I was just thinking about uh, that appearance of spontaneity is, in my, I, I would think the number one priority out of those four yeah. things that you were talking about. Because I was watching a clip where Seinfeld was, uh, two clip back to back Seinfeld and Norm Macdonald and yep. Norm Macdonald was doing a Nixon impression for uh, Seinfeld. And when it felt spontaneous, the first time he did it, Seinfeld almost buckled over and, uh, you know, it was really funny to him. Yep. And then he, uh, they were out doing comedian, uh, comedians getting coffee, that thing that Seinfeld does on YouTube. And he asked him to do it again. He said, I need to hear that again. And he, he did it, but obviously it's not going to be spontaneous at that moment. And yeah. he knows what's coming. So it's not that funny. So the, yeah, uh, I, the I have to it. say, and I'm not putting that show down. It's an interesting show. But I don't like that show because that's what it does. It lets you see the comedian without his character and without the protection of his comedy. 
and it's sort of interesting, but it bores me. So I, I'm I'm probably not the right person to talk about that show. No, I I would tend to agree with you, and I don't think it's doing that. You know, as far as what Seinfeld does, I mean, all yeah. the uh, all the things he's been really highly successful. At, I don't think that will be one of the ones people will remember him for <laughs> that show. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and I think part of it is probably that too. You, you're right. I think it's it's a little too intimate. And they, they're not comedians anymore. They're just two regular guys. And, you know, let's face it. People like comedians because they're comedians, not because they're regular laugh. guys. Right? Yeah. If yeah. I want to see a regular guy, I'll go to my brother's house. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld did a wonderful piece on when he tried out a whole bunch of new material. And, and his comment was, well, my fame got me two jokes. And after that, I bombed. Right. And you, you can't change what stand-up comedy is. No. Uh, um, I was. What was I just gonna say? <laughs> you know, my brain goes in different directions now. Yeah, I know it happens. Um, oh well, I'll remember later. But um, right. yeah. Um, uh, well, what were you we talking about? You were talking about. Uh, well, just in preparation for you know people. There's a couple of things about learning the art of comedy. First yes. of all, I think. Anybody who wants to do it, and there's more people who want to do it now than ever. People are coming out of the woodwork doing stand-up comedy. I'm not sure that's a good thing or bad thing, but there's no doubt there's more opportunities and there are more people doing it now. Yeah, it is amazing because when Barb and I, uh, Barb is my partner, we were a comedy team in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, When we started in Los Angeles, uh, there were probably 30 comedians in the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I can't even tell you. But, I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, how many musicians are there, right? Um, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure, it, it sort of waters everything down, but it's good that right. everybody's out doing it. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's kind of a double-edged sword for the consumer because people will say, there's no good music anymore. And I said, there's plenty of good music. You just have to dig a little deeper uh, through all through all the muck now because there's so much of it. You have to dig deeper to find the music that you like, but there's plenty of good music. Same with comedy. I, people will tell me, you know, there's not, it's not nobody great comedians out there like they were in the heyday, you know, talking yeah. about the 70s, Carl, Carlin and, and Pryor and all those guys, Eddie Murphy, all those people. And I said, no, there are plenty of them out there. There are lots of really great comedians out there, but there are just so many that it makes it seem like there's, yeah. there's only a few. What, what I always tell people is run with blinders. Because if you're doing your character and you keep getting better at doing your persona and get funnier and funnier, one way or another, you're going to get there. Not always what you want or exactly the way you wanted it. Uh, because still, out of every hundred comedians, you'll find about ninety of them are just being comics and throwing a bunch of jokes against the wall. Um, so if you really hit your, let me give you a couple of quick examples. Um, we've known a couple of people that spent a lot of their time not in character. Like, for example, my old buddy George Carlin, who was very funny, but at the Aspen Comedy Festival in somewhere in the 90s, he turned to Barb and I and he said, you know what I realized? I'm not in my own act. And at that point, everything he did after that, he became that funny character who was too angry at things. Right. And um, also um, our friend Louis Black, who uh, he spent probably 40 years well, being unsuccessful, basically, at comedy, because he was a political comedian. And the, and the problem was he wasn't coming from a character. So joke he did, you have to sit there and see with him, disagree with him. That's not the state you want the audience in. Right. But But one night or something, I don't know whether he was sick or what, and it was when George W. Bush was president, and he got up, and and for whatever reason, it might have been that he was sick that night. He didn't care, and he suddenly did this. He went, George W. Bush, when he talks, my head hurts. It hurts my head. It, uh, it's pain. And all of a sudden, everybody started laughing. 
Yeah. Why? Because now he wasn't asking you to agree with him or disagree with him. He was showing you his comedic character, the guy who gets too upset at everything, that gets right. too angry at everything. And then everything he did after that became successful. He could take a bottle of water and look at it and go, you know, I picked up this bottle of water yesterday and uh, it said, uh, uh, what's that word? Hydrate. Oh, yeah. Hydrate yourself three times a day. And then he looked at you and go, hydrate? That's not a fucking word. And he get all <laughs> upset about that. Hey, Barb, come over here. Uh, just wanted you guys to say hello to uh, Barb, my partner. There she is. Oh, hi, Hello. Nice, to, nice you? to meet you. Oh, pardon me. I'm still in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> the oh, we're, get, we're giving Conan a plug. Conan a plug, aren't we? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> How are you? It's, it's my um, pleasure. I meeting. sleep with Conan, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm finding out for the first time. <laughs> um, it's nice to meet you. I didn't know. I just wandered into the office here, and um, I do that from time to time. I let him do a lot of the work now. So. Well, we're very loose that way, and pleasure to have you on here. Now we're getting two for the two for the price of one, so I'm I'm all for that. So, oh, cool, cool. Go. And all Steve right. has been calling me very loose for a very long time in many ways. So <laughs> I don't know. Okay, well, so that's that's go ahead. All right, Sorry. I'm gonna let you guys go back to your important work. Yeah, well, we're. We're just trying to sell the book in the course here. So, and, oh, and introduce people to how, how to kill how to kill in comedy, and, and you also teach on uh, online, right? Uh, not just in person. Right. We've got uh, three different workshops on Zoom: a Wednesday night workshop, a Thursday night workshop, um, and a live workshop that we do uh, locally. Uh, but if anybody's interested in that. Uh, uh, we have people from the East, from Canada, from all over the world that do our workshops. And I also do private coaching, you know, um, on Zoom. Uh, you can fall on your face or uh, embarrass uh, embarrass the world uh, in private with me. And um, I will make it funny and get you going in, in comedy. Right. I want to I come back to that in just one second. I just, before, I, I just want to comment on the Lewis Black thing because you're so right. The Lewis Black was a perfect example for you to bring up because uh, I'm a huge fan of his, but he, I'm to the point where he does not have to say anything. He doesn't have to say anything. His facial expressions, his mannerisms, the, thing, the way he could say something totally not funny and have me laughing. There's no humor in the words he's actually saying. It's That's right. It's that manic delivery. Uh, yes. Now, now we're getting started in 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 taking. Uh, I don't know. I want to call it taking lessons in the co comedy course that you present in the workshops you present. Getting started is. Do, can people start at any age, or and is there any like, you know, I hate to even use this word, but like in, in if you were going to take a course in college, there'd be a prerequisite. Is there any prerequisite, any kind of experience they need? Any age limit, any of that stuff involved? Well, one of the one of the people I coached, whose name is uh, uh, Marty, I forgot his last name. Marty Ross. He was just on America's Got Talent. He's eighty one years old. Holy! He, he started coach. He started with us in our workshops and our coaching probably the sixties. Oh, then he dropped out for a while. And then about five or six years ago, he came back and did it more and he was more willing to commit to it. It doesn't matter what age you are. Um, when you do comedy, as long as you come from that funny place in you and, uh, you know, I mean, certainly somebody who's 25 years old has a brighter future. <laughs> <laughs> No, because I know the problem, I think, is how long it takes to actually make it. Because, you know, let's face it, if you're starting in comedy clubs, you're going to have to do the bringer stuff, fight for three minutes here and there. Yeah. And by the time you get enough exposure, I'm thinking at 81, you're going to be 90 before anybody knows who you are. Right? Well, he was on America's Got Talent, so he certainly Good for got him. God bless and him. And we do, in our classes, we bring industry people in that, you know, kind of do a little showcase for them so that they get a chance to take a look at people. So, um, so, you know, it's, it's just like a whole group of really people that are into it. And the first thing you should do before you take the class, any class 
is do a private with Steve because then he helps you focus on your comedic character and then you're you're like ready to go. Yeah, it's like once you get the formula of your character, just like once Lewis Black figured out he's somebody that gets too angry at small things, right. then it just all comes out because you found that unique. You know, we all have different comedic characters, just like we all have different faces. Yeah. And so once you find your your comedic formula, then it's the difference between if I came up to you and I said, hey, would you decorate this room for a party? You'd be like, all right, uh, let's see. What do I do? Get some crepe paper, uh, balloons. <laughs> but if I told you it was a Hawaiian party, you'd immediately know what to get. Lays, pineapples, blah, blah, blah. Well, your comedic character is like that. Once you understand the theme of your comedy, what you what what your flaw is and what you don't get about yourself, then it leads to just endless material just coming out. Right. How, how about, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say everybody has a unique comedic character. Right. And it's a matter of finding it. And with some people, they don't like it. And I can't help them then. Right. But it's oh. their comedic character. What Other about, people love it. Yeah. What about uh because the big fear uh, I, I you know I'm imagine I'm putting what my biggest fear is on everybody and that's probably wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. But the biggest fear is the hecklers and and dealing with them. Do you prepare people for how to deal with hecklers? Because I'm thinking now, you know, based on my internet experience, I'm thinking sometimes the best uh, best way to deal with them would be to ignore or ignore them uh and the other part of that is that in any other art form, we don't get that. We don't get right. people coming to your shows to purposely be obnoxious and try to end up your shows like it, like it happens in, in, in stand-up comedy. So do you prepare them for that in any way? And if so, what do you tell them? Great question. Um, the first thing to understand is that out of every 30 shows, one show, there will be a heckler. Okay. So it's not as prevalent as everybody is worried about. There are people that will talk to you during a show because you are having a conversation. <clears throat> so the second thing that we work on is how to deal with it when somebody says something. There's no way you can deal with a heckler. The only, uh, the only people that can deal with a heckler is the club, and that is to kick them out. But there's lots of people that will talk to you. And so the important thing... I'll give you a quick workshop on this. So you're doing a joke and somebody yells out something to you. Your first instinct is to say something clever and funny back to them. Right. That's a disaster. That will never work. That will never happen. Maybe one out of every 20 times will you say something clever. Your second is to get angry at them and ignore them. You can't do that either because everybody in the room heard them. So your only out is to let your character talk to them. And for that, you have to know what your character's agenda is. For example, what do I mean by agenda? All right, let me, all right. <laughs> I'm covering a lot here, but so part one of character is flaw. Part two is blind spot. Those are the main two. Part four is agenda. It means why is this character standing up in front of these strangers and talking to them. Well, it's based on their flaw and their blind spot. For example, let's take a simple example. Rodney Dangerfield, simple comedian. In his real life, everybody's yelling at him. Why are you so obnoxious? Why are you wearing that shirt? Why can't you act normally, right? So one morning, his character wakes up. Not him, but his character. And realizes, oh, my God, I know what's going on here. My friends, everybody that knows me, they're prejudiced against me. So if I could just go out and talk to a group of objective strangers and tell them what's going on with me, surely they're going to say, oh, no, Rodney, you deserve respect. You're getting a raw deal. Well, that's what drives him. He thinks when he says, uh, tell you, I got no respect. My ma, my wife, this, and uh, she said, yeah, maybe next year. He thinks you're going to say back to him, oh, you poor thing. 
Instead of that, you're going to laugh because he's an idiot. He doesn't deserve respect. And so this is a little technical, but you and you have to know your character to do this. But let's take Anthony Jeselnik, whose character is that he thinks he's charming and he's actually insensitive and crude and insulting. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> he's does a setup. My, my wife, blah, 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 blah. Somebody yells out, yeah, yeah, you're lucky you even have one. All he has to do is go to his agenda, which is to prove that he's charming. So how does what the guy just said have to do with his agenda? Hey, excuse me, man. I'm wowing these people here. And then the guy's done. And nobody's listening to him, and he can go on. Now, like I said, if if he keeps saying stuff and interrupting, then he becomes a heckler. And the only person that can deal with him is the club owner. But that really is so rare. Is it? Uh, it, it seems to me in the Internet age especially, uh, it's it's almost encouraging because people – you know, like they like to share videos of that going on, and then yeah. other, other guys think, "Well, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna up that a bit." You know, I'm gonna show that guy up, and now. Oh, I see. So you're talking about videos from a live show that right. shows, yeah. Well, again, there, there's two things there. The first thing is the hundreds of shows that there weren't a heckler. Nobody's going to show you a video of that, right? Right. But and that's something that's bothering all of us: the amount of noise coming from so many people um but yeah maybe that is a little more encouraged now um I, to my i i'm involved in shows every day every year it still holds true that only about one out of every 30 shows do you actually get a heckler now sometimes people will confuse a heckler with someone who's participating in the conversation right you know if i say you know hey barb and i we we, we just, we've been married for a long time and we really back ourselves up. Uh, we're good for each other. And somebody goes, how so? I go, well, it's simple. You know, the other day I was driving and I didn't have my seatbelt on. And a cop pulled us over. Yeah, what does that prove? Well, uh, as the cop was walking to the car, I put my seatbelt on and the cop said, hey, I don't think you were wearing that when I pulled you over. And Barb was right there to back me up. She said, officer, it's just better not to interrupt Steve when he's been drinking. <laughs> uh, See, we back each other up. So yeah. if you're really on your agenda, right. people that talk back to you, I mean, there is one sort of technical uh, thing that happens. If somebody interrupts you just before a punchline, oh. you can't do the punchline. Wow, you have to go back and reset it up. Wow, that sucks. <laughs> oh, it really does. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, especially, especially if you do the punchline and everybody just stares at you. Right, right. Uh, wow, that yeah, that's got to be so frustrating. Um, I want to talk about this idea of character though, because it occurred to me. I used to do, do a television show back in the early nineties, and we, we would do skits and stuff. I would have toughest time getting out of character after i did skits uh, you know i would get into his character so heavily and then get what kind of so, character was it tell me uh, sometimes it was just like a, a really stupid uh <laughs> i played a stupid guy a stupid rock star guy often yeah. uh yeah. and uh but coming out of that i I had difficulty coming out of that character to the point where I got annoying to the people. It shows over hours and I'm at the bar now having a drink with my friends and I'm still in character. Can, can that be an issue with stand-up comedians? It occurred to me that Bill Hicks, when I saw him on with, yeah, with Paul Provenza, was doing You better believe it can be. Yeah, absolutely. If Because first off, you're exaggerating this part of you uh, when you're doing a sketch or stand-up. Um, so that... Uh, I hate to use this as an example, uh, but Robin Williams was pretty much his character on stage and off stage. Right. And that wasn't very pretty, really. Um, so you do <laughs> uh, uh, other examples I can't think of right now, but I know there are plenty of. Oh, uh, do you remember the um, 
Richard Pryor a, a long time ago, how he blew himself up with Freebase. <laughs> <laughs> That's his comedic character going into his real life and right. fucking him up, you know? Right, yeah. So it's like, uh, he was interesting. He was one of the early comedic characters that really had a lot of impact. Right. Um, uh, a lot of people don't realize that his character's flaw was that he was self-destructive, and but his blind spot was he thought he was a victim. He was always going, eh, it was terrible. I had sex with this 500-pound woman and she almost crushed me. And <laughs> You're thinking, well, Richard, why did you go in there and have sex with her? You know, but that was his blind spot. He just kept thinking he was a victim. But that behavior kind of went out into his life, too. Absolutely. So, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Robin Williams because I wanted to talk about improv and whether you teach that or not. Uh, again, uh, in the prep for Paul Provenza, I was going through his old show. He had a show called Set List. And in yeah. Set List, I thought that was really innovative in, but dangerous for a lot of comedians because a lot of comedians would not be good at that because they're not natural improvers. They go by uh, the, you know, the material they presented or crowd work and that kind of stuff. But having the crowd just pull out a topic and you have to come up with a piece of uh, comedy live on stage on the spot like that. Robin Williams was good at that. Uh, that seemed like his natural thing, but I don't think every comedian would be good at that. And I thought maybe he'd run out of comedians who actually can do that. What about improv? Do you train in that at all? Do you believe in, in training in um, improv? Barb and I started in improv. Um, I think it's a good base for anything. We also teach improv in our stand-up classes, not in the same way, but um, let me give you a, a well, the the media of stand-up is different than improv because improv is actually acting. You're, re, you're relating to other actors and in stand-up you're relating to the audience. Uh, it's a form of acting, uh, but so is stand-up, which I call conversational acting. Um, improv not only can't hurt you, it can only help because it relaxes you. It makes you looser. It makes you not panic when somebody throws in something that you weren't expecting. And the concept of, um, of improv really helps you with your stand-up writing. So the biggest concept in, in um Improv is the word yes and or, or agreement. Right. That if I if I say to you, that's a nice parrot you have on your shoulder, you can either say no, yes but, yes or yes and. Anything other than yes and will stop the scene's development. So right. I say that's a nice uh, rooster you have on your shoulder, and you go, it's not a rooster, it's a parakeet. Now we got to start the scene all over. Right. Now I say, you've got a nice rooster on your shoulder. And you go, yes, thank you. Well, we haven't moved the scene forward. You've just said yes. Right. There's a yes, but too. Yeah, but it's not really a rooster. All this stuff kills development. The only thing that drives development is yes and. So I say, that's a nice rooster you have on your shoulder. Maybe you say yes, and I'm thinking of selling it. Uh, and I'm like, okay, uh, I want to buy a rooster. And now the whole thing develops. So where, <laughs> where that where that comes in is in the writing of your stand-up. Because if you have an idea for a, a comedy bit and you immediately say no or yes, but, or just yes to it, it's not going to go anywhere. So well, you have I, I could end that, I could end that uh, improv with a yes end. Okay, go ahead. Give, give me a, uh, I like that rooster on your shoulder. Oh, hey, that's a nice rooster on your shoulder. You should see the cock in my ass. <laughs> How much do you charge for that? <laughs> oh, it didn't end it. You're right. Okay, you proved me wrong. <laughs> no, I didn't prove you wrong. I proved you right. Yeah, you I know. You yeah. kept it going. It gave right. me something to do. Right. No, I thought I thought that would stop the 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 sign uh, the no, improv no, with the yes. No. How, how much do you charge? Now you would say five thousand dollars or whatever, <laughs> and, it, right. and the scene would keep going. Well, right. anyway, but we're cool. not really talking about improv, so right. <laughs> cool stuff, though. But no, I, I was wondering about that. Well, just in the terms of if it helps prepare for the crowd work and stuff, because it is a conversation. A lot of times, you know, people come in with 
prepared material, but then right away when the crowd, even if it, the crowd isn't invited, isn't invited to participate, at some point somebody will say something and then it becomes crowd work. And you have to have, I would think, some improv training to be good at crowd work, right? Or am I wrong with that? <clears throat> improv training helps, but you don't have to have improv training to do good stand-up. Because if you're coming from your character and somebody interrupts one of your pieces with a comment, all you all you really have to do is say, well, I'm up here trying to prove uh, that I'm a victim. And then I can just say, see that? You see what the guy just did? Now he's interrupting me while I'm trying to tell you about my life. Right. And that shuts him up and you keep going. I guess it's improv in a way, but it's really a stand-up thing. Gotcha. Uh, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, um, don't, don't worry so much. I know everybody's afraid of that, but you know it just doesn't happen that much. An yeah. outright heckler, you know. A conversation that I uh, witnessed in one of the YouTube videos I was watching co comics. Uh, it might have been Paul Forenza's green room where he had he had lots of comics sitting on a couch talking, and yeah. it, that was very cool. I mean, he'd have people like Lewis Black, and uh, but he had Gary Shandling on, and a guy who was like a very young comedian. I don't Bo something. I don't remember his last name, but he was twenty years old, and they were talking about. Uh, the, I guess, cliche that all comedy comes from pain. And it, there was some discussion about that on whether all comedy necessarily comes from pain. What is your take on that? I hate conversations like that because, well, no, let me, let me, <laughs> <laughs> what, what I'm saying is that any broad statement you make about comedy can't possibly be true because everyone's a different persona. I I agree. And has different stuff. But yeah, I guess I, I guess in the sense that the comedian is always trying to convince you of his agenda, which he's never going to convince you of. Like Rodney Dangerfield, is he ever going to convince you that he deserved respect? Is no, Anthony yeah. Russellneck ever going to convince you that he's charming and nice and sensitive? Is <laughs> Seinfeld ever going to convince you that the stuff that he talks about is important? Yeah, I get it. No. Yeah. So, you know, um, I guess you could say they're all in that pain that they're that they're sure that you're gonna agree with them and then you're not gonna agree with them. Gotcha. And they're in this constant in fact, um another great way to look at a comedic character is a guy looks at a doorway, he lines himself up to walk through the doorway, and over and over again he slams into the door frame and can't get through the door. That's a comedic character over and over again. Right. Lewis Black tells you how incensed he is about a water bottle. And you don't go, yeah, you're right to be that way. So it's like no good comedic character ever accomplishes their agenda. Absolutely. Cool. Steve stuff. Martin ever going to convince you that he's cool and not a nerd. Well, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I would say, I would say, yeah, but not in a comedic sense. Uh, yeah, when right, he, when, right, he, when right. he's playing the banjo, he, he's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. The book is called How to Kill in Comedy. Now, the question uh, I have for you: if if I read this book cover to cover, am I yeah. gonna be am I gonna be well prepared to go out and do my first uh, open mic night? Oh, you're gonna be so messed up, you won't know who you are. <laughs> You, you won't have any idea what's up and what's down. No, but seriously, uh, you know, uh, basically a psychiatrist tries to make you better. A good comedy coach tries to make you worse. Uh, in other words, hopefully when you read this book, you would see, oh, so my flaw is that I'm kind of a rock star kind of guy. I do what feels good. I don't worry about, you know, the consequences my blind spot is I think I, I think I'm a normal, reasonable human being, and I don't realize that I'm creating havoc. And you would understand that pretty quickly, and then start applying it to the formulas and stuff like that. Gotcha. So I have your URL in the running across the bottom. It's also in the uh, description to make it easy for people. It's just called funnycoach.com. You go yeah. there, you can find a link to the Amazon place where you can uh, buy, buy the book, but they can also 
uh, sign up for a console. I, I don't want to call it a consultation, whatever. It, it's the first coaching call with you. Uh, how does that work? Is it, 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 it's not like this. It's not like, a, I'll a tell thing. you what, I'll, I'll give everybody a special mind dog rate. It's normally $95 for an hour of coaching. I'll do it for 75. All you got to do is say you, uh, uh, saw it on mind dog. Uh, and it's an hour, and you will understand a lot more about your comedic character. Um, also, if anybody's interested in our workshops, it doesn't matter what part of the country you live in, uh, you can join those. But as Barb said, it really is better to do a private first so you have some footing and understanding of your character before gotcha. you, yeah. Just some clarity on the workshops. Uh, you can do online workshops with groups of people, like like a digital thing like this with many people yes. in the room. Yes. I mean, we'd never let more than 10 or 12 be in a workshop. Cool. Uh, uh, but uh, we have a Wednesday night that's twice a month. We have a Thursday night that's four times a month. Plus, you get a, you get to do a show for free uh, wow. as part of the month of the workshop. Very cool. Uh, so, Yeah. Thank you for, for, for being with me tonight. And uh, I, I wish you a lot of success with the book. And I hope some people, uh, the aspire, aspiring comedians out there and the people who are interested in pursuing stand-up comedy, I hope they'll check you out and, and uh, see if they can improve their, uh, I want to say act. Is they yeah. Prove their act. Prove their. Yeah, their... just what we need more comedians. Well, <laughs> you know what? I think. I'm kidding, we'll, I'm kidding, yeah. yeah, we'll never, we'll never not need more comedians. We just got to keep an eye on the good ones and and let the bad ones just fall by the wayside. <laughs> anyway, Steve, thank you so much for for being part of the show tonight, and and thanks for coming. And uh, until next time, uh, be well, and thanks for coming. And good night. Great, Matt. You're fun. Bye. Steve North, the, the comedy coach, folks. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, so, you know, there has been this, and, and I know he was kind of tongue-in-cheek saying this, this idea among successful comedians right now that you can't learn. You can't learn comedy. It's, it's you either born with it or not. And I, I, because I go back a ways, and I'm a big fan of, I thought Steve Allen was a good guy to teach the subject of stand-up comedy. And, and so when I go back 35 years or so now, I think the, the book was written actually in the late 50s, maybe early 60s. But when he said that anybody can, uh, everybody is funny in some way, and it's just a matter of developing that part of your persona, which is funny, which you may not even recognize or not even recognize the funny in yourself. I take Steve Allen's word at it. And I think uh, Steve North just kind of backed that up in, in a lot of ways. It's about developing your comedic character. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the subject. Write to me at info at mindoftv.com, info at mindoftv.com. Off Monday, got two shows on Tuesday. So join me at 1 p.m. on Tuesday when David Towner will be with me talking about his new book. And until uh, then, I'm Matt Napple for the Mind Dog TV podcast. Have a great recipe night. Bye for now.
to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 